So, uh, great week of predictions. Let's start the show. Okay, let's go. How quickly you try to dodge that one, man. You, uh, it was a, it was more than a, a, a rough weekend for you. I, social media, boy, we're having some fun with the mayor. What's tell us a little bit about your weekend down in Texas, Frank? Uh, here, I'll, I'll show you via the wave uh, tweets. How's that? Uh, we'll, we'll just go that way. Uh, first off, uh, we started the evening with me tweeting out, will the HSU Cowboys drive spell against crew football end tonight? We'll find out soon. Here are the Cowboys entering the field. To which Kyle King decided he would answer after the game, no. Okay. You know what? Uh, fair enough. Uh, good answer, Kyle. Um, a lot of people like that one. Uh, we've got... Uh, Bobby P. Uh, deciding to go full crying Jordan on my body. Uh, so I, I thanks, Bobby, for that one. Uh, during the game, uh, Purple Gold and Getting Old had stated, Hey, Frank Rossi, you seem to be our good luck charm. Would you think about coming uh, out to every game if I could get a group of boosters to sponsor it? Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, thanks. Uh, thank you for that one. I did respond. Uh, you can go on Twitter and find that. And then uh, Ty Crawford again winning the internet. I am so excited for this week's D3FB Huddle Game Day picks when Frank Rossi picks the Austin College Ruse 0-3 over UMHB. Come on, Frank, don't let us down. Oh, God. Nice. The respect I get is phenomenal. But then to top it off, if you think, think the uh, disrespect from you know, folks down in Texas isn't bad enough. How about somebody that uh, actually covers my college's teams deciding to diss my home village where I'm mayor of? Yeah, James Prasio Jr. read the ball, came in, just wasn't tall enough to make the grab. Local guy to the Schenectady area, Boston Spa, New York, just up the road near Saratoga Springs. Although those are two rivals, so I guess I should. <laughs> Saratoga County guy. Saratoga, the, the more well-known city nationally. Although I'll get some flack as running right as Fiore to the left side. Our former, uh, former union broadcaster and alum, Frank Rossi, who now is the mayor of Boston Spa, New York. So he would say Boston Spa, Saratoga is near Boston Spa. That's what he would say. Okay, Andrew, um, as you can see from uh, the added graphics onto that, uh, Boston Spa is more than Saratoga Springs' uh, little stepchild uh, to the south of it. Uh, we uh, have a lot of uh, stuff that makes us special and unique, as we just said in our New York Forward grant application for two and a quarter million dollars. Cross your fingers for us. But yeah, uh, Boston Spa is its own entity, its own municipality, and people love us just the same. You should know that you live in the area. You've been to Paulson Spa. Yeah, you you came through uh, last year during uh, Union's homecoming. Place in a little downtown, very quaint. Lots of you know, it's old architecture. It's very pretty. Thank you. So you know, Andrew, poo on you. That's all I can say. Uh, yeah, it, it's been uh, one of those great weeks where uh, you know I'm a walking meme basically for everybody's sake. I'm glad I could assist the E3 Nation like that. Having said that, guess what? It's season 15, crunch time, in the huddle.
Okay, JB, all kidding aside, uh, we thought it was going to be a week of just two games, really, and then uh, kind of the rest, but it didn't play out that way, realistically. So it's time for your 30,000-foot view. What did you think of week four? Well, I think there was a lot of games in week four that we thought were going to go one way, and they went the opposite. So it still seems a bit like of a crazy year. And, and one of the things that's really interesting to me, Frank, we'll talk about this when we go through the regions, there's such a lack of undefeated teams in at least a couple of different regions. It's going to make the seeding on the tournament comes around pretty interesting. There's only six undefeated teams in Region 1. Two of them are in the MAC, two of them are in the NESCAC. So kind of do the math with the rest of New England there. And then in Region 3, there's three undefeated ODAC teams who took the, the weekend off. They were, they were off. And uh, then there's Trinity, who's cracking the top five now as the only undefeated team in the SAA. So we're seeing a lot of one-loss, two-loss teams still kind of in the conference championship playoff line, but there's going to be a lot less and O's than we've seen in quite some time. You're starting to become a believer what I said about a two-loss team being the last uh, team chosen in Pool C? I think there's going to be a couple of two-loss teams to be chosen in Pool C, to be honest, just the way things are shaking out. It's possible. I, I would say at least one for now, uh, but I, two is uh, definitely a possibility. So uh, how do we get there? How do we get here at the end of uh, the week, the day, whatever you want to call it? Well, let's uh, talk about it. It's time for crunch time for week four of the 2022 Division Three college football season. We will start as we always do in Region 1 as Husson visited Springfield. And we had a hat trick in this game. Let me tell you about who did it. Five minutes into the game, Springfield's Arsene Shetefan gets a 19-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0. Uh, they add a touchdown, but then 119 left first quarter. Arsene Shetefan with a 5-yard touchdown run to make it 21-0, Springfield leading. Midway through the second quarter, guess who scores again? Arson Shetefan, a 26-yard touchdown run, gives his team a 28-0 lead. We don't want to leave out David Wells in uh, looking at his arm here as in the third quarter, 908 left, Noah Wagonblast gets a 51-yard touchdown pass from David Wells. That made it 42-0. Final score, Springfield wins 49-7. They outgained Husson 540-147, a rush for 429 yards as a team, and Shetefan with those three rushing touchdowns. Let's go NESCAC word here as Colby, who pulled off that big upset against Williams the previous week, uh, took on Trinity. There was no scoring in the first half. 9.40 left third quarter. Colby's Matt Hirsch gets a one-yard touchdown run to give Colby a 7-0 lead. But it was far from over as three minutes later, Trinity's Thomas Walsh gets a 27-yard touchdown pass from Spencer Fetter. And that's now a 7-7 tie. 3.34 left third quarter, Tyler DiNapoli gets an 11-yard touchdown pass from Spencer Fetter to give uh, Trinity the 13-7 lead. Kick failed on that. And Tyler DiNapoli gets a 2-yard touchdown run later on. Uh, that's in the fourth quarter, 13-22 left. And that would pretty much do it. 19-7, Trinity beats Colby. Trinity outgained Colby, 387-162. Fetter, 19 for 25, 229 in terms of yardage and two passing touchdowns. How about this Salve Regina at Rowan game? As we start 10-0 in favor of Rowan early, 
Second quarter, 108 left. John Maldonado gets a 50-yard touchdown pass from Mike Husney to make it 17-0 at halftime in favor of Rowan. That's It's over. It's done, right? Well, not between these two teams because for the second straight year, we had a turnaround in this game. Salve would get a touchdown in the third on a short Ryan Jans run. In the fourth quarter, though, 13.07 left. It's Hayden Holmey getting a 13-yard touchdown pass from Jake Stack. It's now 17-14 Rowan. The ensuing kickoff, though, was disastrous for Rowan as it was fumbled by that team and picked up by Jacob Dubois at the Rowan 24-yard line. Four plays later, Evan LaRoche gives Salve Regina the lead, 21-17 with 10.47 left. John Maldonado would connect again, though, with Mike Husney later in the fourth with about four minutes left, so Rowan took the lead back, 24-21. We go with 30 seconds left, fourth and goal at the seven-yard line of Rowan, and here's the uh, pass. It's incomplete. It's over. Rowan, well, wait a minute. No, there is a flag on the play roughing the passer. They would get another chance at it, and Jake Stack would get a three-yard touchdown run with 21 seconds left to give his team the win uh, great 15-play drive to end the game, 28-24 in favor of Salve Regina. Rowan had led 17-0 at the half. Stack gets the game-winning three-yard touchdown run with 21 seconds remaining. Then we, we've got to look at all the scoring by one player in particular in this wild Coast Guard at Anna Maria game. Spencer McMillian. He might have run for McMillian yards and touchdowns in this game. As with 2.54 left first quarter, he gets first his 10-yard touchdown run. Then in the next quarter, about 16 minutes later officially, Spencer McMillian gets an 11-yard touchdown run. That's 28-14 in favor of Coast Guard at that point. In the third quarter, McMillian runs again. A 4-yard touchdown run, 45-21 in favor of Coast Guard. Two minutes later, McMillian, a 2-yard touchdown run, 52-21 Coast Guard. 10.45 left fourth quarter. Spencer McMillian one more time. Three-yard touchdown run. 59-21. I haven't seen something like that in a long time in Region 1 especially, uh, folks. As McMillian rushes 43 times for 285 yards. Leads the nation in rushing yards right now. Five rushing touchdowns. The teams combined for 1,130 total uh, yards. The defensive Coast Guard, three interceptions, one fumble recovery. Spencer McMillian, probably not the last time in this show you'll hear his name. JB, take it away. And he's a senior too. Where did this guy come from? I mean, holy smokes. And he not only does he lead the nation in rushing yards, he's tied for the lead. I think he's got 11 rushing touchdowns in the, in the first four games. It's incredible. What, what a performance. Um, elsewhere in, in Region 1, we saw a couple of blowouts. You know, Delaware Valley's offense kind of got – Live here and was off and running. We had some close, exciting games too. Kings um, comes up a little short against FDU Forum. Merchant Marine and, and Kane came down to a, a blocked punt safety by Cole Simmons, or I believe got named to the D3 Football Team of the Week. Um, Alfred State outlasting Defiance, which some people thought may not happen in, in the NESCAC, kind of what you'd expect. It looks like at this point, Middlebury and Trinity are the only undefeated teams in that conference. It looks like it's going to come down to one of them. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, Stevenson still cruising right along there. Uh, they're undefeated and headed into a big showdown against Del Valle this weekend. We'll have more on that on Friday, assuming that I'm not waterlogged from Hurricane Ian. More on that in a bit. Um, Lebanon Valley edges Wilkes, which is interesting. And Framingham State needed to kind of 
eke out a close one against Westfield. Um, interesting score there. And then the one game that you and I were texting about, WPI with their first win of the season, shutting out Montclair State, who went toe-to-toe with Del Val. Second win, second win. They got the win against Worcester second State win? to start okay. the season. Oh, that's right, yep. Worcester State in week one. Yeah, so they yep. lost two in a row, I think is what I meant. And so here they are, back back to 500, and beating a pretty solid Red Hawks team from the inject. Absolutely. I was very surprised by that uh, performance. Uh, and, hey, congratulations, Coach C-Rob and company, for turning things around there because it's been a rough one. I was at the prior, prior two games. Apparently, I'm the cause of what WPI losing because the two games I didn't attend. You're like the antithesis of what the, all the crew fans are like, Frank, can you come to all our games because we win? <laughs> WPI fans are like, Frank, please don't stay home. No, don't come to Worcester. Yep, apparently. <laughs> Great. I'm sure Rusty Egan would would still like to have you in the press box. Another satisfied customer, I tell you. Anyway, uh, Utica at Union uh, we've got uh, coming up here, and this is another one of those uh, head-scratcher games, I guess, uh, in the first quarter. Andre Ross Jr. gets a 31-yard touchdown pass from Donovan Piccati to make it 7-0 in favor of Union. After Union added a field goal in the second quarter, 9.38 left, Utica's Travis Decker gets a 68-yard touchdown pass from Braden Zenilovich, the old U-Albany transfer, makes it 10-7, still Union's lead. But a play later... Piccati is in the pistol. He's going to hand it off. Running right is Irabor. He's got a big hole. I.K. Irabor, 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown. I.K. Irabor. And Union responds. I.K. Irabor, 84-yard touchdown run, sixth longest touchdown run in Union history. With 9.19 left, he made it 17-7 in the second quarter. Then 20 seconds left, second quarter. It is Michael Fiore with a one-yard touchdown run, 24-7, Union leading. But on that drive, Donovan Piccati went down with a uh, shoulder injury of some sort. We're not sure what his prospects of coming back this season are. But we'll continue as Utica would get a touchdown and a field goal in the third quarter to pull within seven suddenly. In the fourth quarter, it was the Nate Palmer show. It's first, Nate Palmer with a nine-yard touchdown pass from Zenilovich to make it 24-24. It's tied. Then a minute 20 later, uh, as Union went three and out, Nate Palmer, a 43-yard punt, uh, 43-yard punt return for touchdown, he said, makes it 31-24 in favor of Utica. Then uh, a chance for Union. It's broken up pretty much by the interception. Joey Lapani with the interception on a third and nine play pretty much ended any hopes there for Union. Uh, they had one more chance later, but just couldn't get the ball back after punting it away. So the final score... A 17-point comeback by Utica, 31-24 in favor of Utica. They moved to 4-0 this season, finding a way to win over and over again. Piccati, as we said, left the game with the injury. Uh, and Braden Zenilovich, 21 for 28, 274 yards, two passing touchdowns. Let's also talk about your sinus at Franklin and Marshall. And our guest from last week, that's Jack Pazinska. Uh, gets a touchdown pass in this game to Nick Shinars, I believe. Uh, maybe I need another uh, pronunciation 101 on this one. 14-yard touchdown pass makes it 7-0 late in the first quarter. After adding a field goal, it looked like we'd hit halftime with a 10-0 your sinus lead. But after a punt was fielded at the FNM 1, Aaron Rasko uh, loses a yard as Connor Carter forces a team safety. Uh, it's 48 seconds left in the uh, first half. 12-0 your sinus with the lead. Then with no time on the clock, 
It's a touchdown pass, Justin Collier, an eight yard catch for a 19 to zero halftime lead. And, you know, respectfully, that was it. The game was pretty much over because of that big turn of events at the end of that first half as Pazinska and company uh, win it 22 to seven. 17 for 32, 168 yards, two passing touchdowns, but four interceptions. So a little bit of sloppy uh, play by him, but you did warn him last week that FNM uh, were ball hawks on defense, but they still win the game by 15, as your sinuses defense not bad themselves with five sacks, nine tackles for loss, two fumble recoveries. JB region to a little bit lighter this week than we've seen in previous weeks. It's about to change in that respect. Trust me, as we're going to get some big games over the next few weeks. But uh, region two, take it away. Yeah, so we saw pretty much a lot of lopsided games in Region 2, with the exception maybe of Alfred kind of upsetting Kalamazoo, um, and their running back had a big game, uh, 274 yards, I believe it was. Uh, Max Freeman the fourth, at the X, 1B after his name, makes it really official. So he had a big game. Saxons had a big win against a good MIA team, so credit for credit them. Uh, Hobart puts up 65 points. That's the second most in program history for them uh, against Keystone. Winless program, but still Hobart is trying to gear up after that tough week two loss, and they have a really big game week five we'll talk about soon. Interesting down here, Frank, though, St. John Fisher eating RPI three to nothing in a really defensive struggle. That's kind of, that to me was the biggest sort of shocker of the weekend. Everything else, I mean, Morrisville State's now 4-0. They have a big game against Brockport this weekend, so we're going to see a lot of conference clashes coming up, but not so much, uh, not so, no many, not so many surprises, but that RPI Fisher game and the head-scratcher to me, Frank. Yeah, uh, also uh, thinking about the fact that two of the teams that are undefeated in the Empire 8 right now are Utica and Morrisville. Who would have thought that coming into the season? But hey, we got a lot of Empire 8 play yet to come. Uh, next up, a uh, public service announcement. Here are my thoughts on Texas weather. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's beautiful at 94 degrees and in the, in the sun even worse uh, down there. But hey, they had to play football That's pads on. <laughs> yeah, we'll just move along here and talk about the tussle in Texas. That's Mary Harden Baylor at Harden Simmons. And this game just had, it was three different games when you really get down to it. First, the first quarter, it was Noah Garcia with a 12-yard touchdown run to make it a 6-0 lead after the extra point was missed. Harden Simmons leading four minutes into the game. After two Anthony Avila field goals, we were tied at 6-6, though, after one quarter. Now, game number two, let's call it, the start of the second quarter, which was shootout mode. As first, Kevy Evans gets a 43-yard touchdown pass from Galen Glynn to make it 13-6. Again, Harden Simmons lead. Two minutes later, Jerry Day gets a 44-yard touchdown pass from Kyle King, tying up the game at 13 apiece with 12-26 left in the first half. A third Anthony Avila field goal would give Mary Harden Baylor their first lead with 5.33 left in the half. But this is where things would turn wild. Let's call it the third type of game we saw here. After first, Harden Simmons gets their 74-yard touchdown pass from Galen Glenn to Kevy Evans to make it 20-16 Harden Simmons lead. Again, 4.36 left. 3.42 left. First, actually, let's look at the kickoff return by uh, K.J. Miller to around the three-yard line, and uh, he, it looks like he did step out of bounds. When I slowed it down a few times, I caught finally where his foot did hit that uh, out-of-bounds stripe, but 
They clean up the mess there, as they say, as Brandon Jordan gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Kyle King. 22-20, Mary Harden-Baylor leads with 3.42 left. 3.30 left. 12 seconds later, Johnny Smith Ryder with a 15-yard scoop and score. Suddenly now, it's a 29-20 lead for Mary Harden-Baylor. What happens two plays later? Well, Duran Hill does the exact same thing, except from 33 yards out. A, a scoop and score makes it 36-20. We went from 20-16 Harden-Simmons to 36-20 Mary Harden-Baylor in 1 minute and 40 seconds. I have never seen something like that transpire in a game like this. This ended up being pretty much it as we had a 30-point second quarter for Mary Harden-Baylor. Uh, the final score, 50-20 UMHB. UMHB had 69 offensive plays to 51 for Harden-Simmons. So look at that defense go this go-around. They had three fumble recoveries, uh, two for touchdown. Kyle King, 21 for 31, 245 yards, two touchdowns. Galen Glenn, 8 for 17, 154 yards, and two passing touchdowns, one interception. But just once they got knocked down, once those fumble recoveries for touchdown occurred, it was it. They, they, I guess, remembered what the previous seven years were like. And I don't want to say they folded, but they certainly didn't have any resilience in the second half as a result. More on that in a second. Bellhaven and Huntington had a pretty good game here for uh, the back and forth nature of it. After an early Huntington uh, touchdown, they take a large early lead with this Tyler England 72-yard punt return for touchdown. It made it 14-0 Huntington with 7.39 left first quarter. In the second quarter, Bellhaven would respond first with a one-yard Tim Johnson run and then this, the Colby Blunt 11-yard touchdown run that Bellhaven uses to tie the game at 14 apiece, eight minutes left second quarter. 3.48 left second quarter, Huntington's Connor Bradford gets a 52-yard touchdown pass from Landon Cotney, and the halftime score would be 20-14 in favor of Huntington. Bellhaven's Nigel Owens would get a 25-yard touchdown pass from Tim Johnson with 3.34 left third quarter, and everybody started to think this would be Bellhaven's game as they took a lead 21-20, but it was not over as Huntington's Kahari McReynell Gets a five-yard run of his own to get the lead back for Huntington, 27-21 with 22 seconds left third quarter. Finally, Huntington ends the scoring in this game with a Trey, uh, Troy Garner nine-yard touchdown run to make it 34-21 Huntington with 640 left. That pretty much put it all away. Again, final score, 34-21 Huntington. Landon Cotney, 14 for 24, 266 yards, two passing touchdowns. Colby Blunt, 22 rushes, 103 yards, and one rushing touchdown. JB, Region 3, uh, that game between Mary Harden-Baylor and Harden-Simmons was cardiac at times in that second quarter. Again, unlike anything I've been a part of in Division 3 football in 27 years of covering it. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't even keep up with all the updates you had coming because there was a touchdown here, a touchdown there. <laughs> like, the game was crazy. And so it certainly lived up to the hype as one of the big games of the year. And once again, sort of establishes that the ASC runs through Belton, Texas, and so the Crusaders are in in the driver's seat now for a playoff spot. The rest of the conference it was pretty it was pretty competitive. If you've seen some of the other scores, um, Southwestern Edge McMurray and Sol Ross and Texas Lutheran had a pretty good game. Uh, ETBU lost to Howard Payne by uh, by 12 points, but else. else Elsewhere in the South was pretty quiet, Frank. Only one SAA team played. Uh, Birmingham Southern uh, defeated a Division II point university by 20 points. 
And Huntington, man, they really kind of made a statement to me. That was a tale of two games. And I really feel that that punt return touchdown gave them a little extra breathing room because in the second quarter, Bellhaven's offensive line took control of that game. They were blowing the Hawks off the ball, but they never really had to panic because they had a two-possession lead. So even when they tied the game, they got back in the in the driver's seat. Same thing in the second half. The Hawks look like the team to beat in the USA South. We're going heavy on regions four through six compared to prior weeks. we got four games to uh, summarize here, including the return of Rosti, as we're calling it. We weren't sure if he would be back, and in the end, he uh, did come out and start. Uh, in this game. Ten minutes into the game, though, it was St. John scoring first as Henry Trost gets a two-yard touchdown run to give the Johnnies a 7-0 lead. Two minutes later, it's Bryce Kunkel with a 45-yard touchdown run, 7-7. We were tied at this point. St. John's would add a field goal just before halftime to make it a 10-7 halftime lead. 12-15 left third quarter, Joey Kidder, 38-yard touchdown pass from Rosti. It's now 14-10 in favor of Bethel. St. John's, though, would respond about, what, 40 seconds later. Jimmy Buck with a 58-yard touchdown reception from Aaron Severson. It's 17-14 in favor of St. John's now. But in the fourth quarter, two minutes into it, Aaron Ellingson gets a 12-yard touchdown pass from Rosti. 21-17 in favor of Bethel now at that point. Two minutes later, or excuse me, four minutes later at that point, Trost with his second touchdown run. It's 24-21 St. John's. But then one play later, literally 16 seconds later off the clock, Micah Newalt gets his 72-yard touchdown pass from Jaron Rosti. You think he's all about running? He's got an arm, folks. And it's 28-24 in favor of Bethel. Third and four, Aaron Stevenson. Here with 6.53 left is intercepted by Isaac Call. So they had an opportunity uh, on the next drive. And then later on in the fourth quarter, Severson again on a third and 10 play. He's intercepted by Kamari Dumas of Bethel. And that would effectively end the game as Bethel could run out the clock. They really, it's an upset. There's no other way to say it. Even with Rosti back, it's still an upset in a lot of people's minds. 28 to 24 yeah. in favor of Bethel. Six lead changes in the game. Rosti went 19 for 29, 321 yards, and three passing touchdowns, just one interception. Henry Trost, 21 rushes, 105 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Wheaton at Augustana, not really a compelling matchup when you kind of look at it from afar, but it turned into one as we were tied at 14 midway through the second quarter. Ten minutes into that second quarter, Kyle Carter with a 40-yard touchdown run for Wheaton makes it 21 to 14. To start the third quarter, five minutes into it, Ben Bonga gets a touchdown pass from Will Bowers from 15 yards out to make a 28-14 Wheaton. Now Wheaton adds on one more time. They get an interception return for touchdown. Nine minutes later, this makes it 35-14 in favor of Wheaton. This game's over, right? Well, no, Augustana would try to rally back. Now they're down 14 to going into this play. It's Ian Gorkin, 28 yards from Thomas Hall, 35-28 Augustana, but really this field goal would put it away for Wheaton. 22-yard kick by Caleb Mary gives them a 38-28 lead with 148 left. That would do it. Boy, this was closer than it should have been in a lot of ways. 38-28 Wheaton wins. Wheaton's offense outgained Augustana 5-11 to 396. Giovanni Weeks with 36 rushes, 266 yards off those. Great day for him. If his name was McMillions, uh, maybe he would have had another 20 yards. Who knows? And Wheaton's defense, two sacks, three interceptions.
Next up, uh, would somebody from the OAC like to step up and be the next uh, team down from uh, Mount Union with a chance at a playoff? Well, uh, apparently not. Well, let's look at the game first here. John Carroll versus Heidelberg. Uh, Heidelberg and JCU were tied at 7 late in the first half. Then with 3.19 left in the second quarter, it's Tadis Tadarunas with a 5-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins to make it 14-7 John Carroll. Uh, we go past halftime, 13 minutes past it, in fact. Brennan Fugue gets a five-yard touchdown pass from Collins to make it 21-7 in, uh, in favor of JCU. That was it. Heidelberg's offense just failed to kick in this game. No turnovers in this game either, so kind of just straight out who's going to be the better offense, I guess, that day. Well, JCU's was because they win 24-7, and I'll gain Heidelberg 317-105. Collins, 20-27, for 27, great efficiency, 176 yards, two passing touchdowns. From a game that didn't have too much offense to a game that had way too much offense for some people's liking, it's Denison at Wabash. A late first half field goal as time expired gave Denison a 17-14 lead, so we'll take it from there. As with 8.43 left, third quarter, it's Donovan Snyder with a 22-yard touchdown run. Wabash led the game 21-17 at this point. 5.53 left third quarter, Connor Grimes, a 21-yard touchdown run, makes it 28-17 Wabash. The teams would trade touchdowns on either, either side of the third quarter break, leaving the Wabash lead at 11 points. 10.46 left in the fourth quarter, Denison's Trey Fabricini gets a 3-yard touchdown run to make the lead only 4 points for Wabash, 35-31. 8 minutes later, 2.08 left. Fabricini time, nope. Dawkins is going to look downfield, has a lot of time, steps up, wings it out, got oh, Marston all by eight. himself. Marston getting all the way downfield, he's going to score! Marston, 65 yards! Touchdown, big red, and they've got the lead with 2.08 to play. But Wabash responds. You could run it, but it hasn't been there. He's going to wing it, and it's caught Penn Stoller! Touchdown, Little Giants! Penn Stoller, a seven-yard touchdown pass from Liam Thompson, gives Wabash back that lead, 42-38. So 45 seconds left to try to get the lead back here for Denison. Here's a big completion uh, from their own 35-yard line. Drew Dawkins gets a pass completed to Billy Guzzo for 47 yards, and it takes it to the Wabash 18-yard line. They get an incompletion on the next play. That's a pretty lightweight outside linebacker, Pash. That's where they're going. Nope. Touchdown, Denison! Billy Guzzo! Six seconds left, and the Denison Big Red are going to beat the Little Giants on homecoming. Billy Guzzo, an 18-yard touchdown pass from Dawkins with six seconds left, makes it 45-42. Here's the last-ditch attempt after a touchback uh, for Wabash, and it is incomplete. Uh, they officially give the breakup here to Anthony Rooney of Denison. The final score, Denison 45, Wabash 42. Dawkins 359 total yards, two passing touchdowns and an interception for Denison. And Leon Thompson for Wabash, 420 total yards, three passing touchdowns, but also three interceptions. What a cardiac game again for Wabash, but they come on the crazy. losing side. They, they are just yeah. living dangerously left, right, and center this season. What else we got in the long list of regions four through six? Well, as usual, a lot of blowouts, but I will call out a few specific games. Albion beating UW Alclairs is a pretty solid win for them. They they continue to stay unbeaten and doing doing well out out in Michigan. Um, 
Let's see, we got Wilmington kind of quietly flying under the radar, winning games in the in the OAC. They haven't played any of the top-level teams just yet, but they're, they're getting the job done, so you got to give them credit for that. Baldwin-Wallace knocks off Ohio Northern, 35-31. to 31. Elsewhere, let's see, uh, Gustavus Adolphus takes care of Concordia Moorhead in the MIAC, MIAC. I messed that up in the in our uh, week three preview, so my bad there. I had to study my Minnesota geography a little better. And then elsewhere, Aurora with 70 points. Yikes. Um, that was a big win. And I have an aunt that lives in Buena Vista, California, Frank, but I know it's Buena Vista that was the team that beat Luther 52-49 to in a crazy shootout game out there in the Midwest. Buena Vista. Buena Vista. Buena? Yeah, believe even, it or not. I can't even say it right. I've tripped yeah. on it so many times in the last decade that I've become more national in the coverage. It's it's unbelievable that Buena Vista, Buena Vista, uh, Buena Vista in this case. Yep, there you okay. go. The well, little things you learn on crunch time, JB, I tell you. You got anything else? Well, you know, we, we did call out the Trine Center game. The Thunder had almost 5,000 people in attendance for that. That was a good win for them. Elsewhere, Cal Lutheran hangs on to defeat uh, Pacific Lutheran in the Lutheran Bowl or the Loot Bowl, I guess, um, 17-14. And then Redlands, man, 0-4. We, re- we both thought there was no way that was going to happen. CMS says, sorry, guys, and they get the win. Uh, let me down on that one for sure. But uh, here's one thing that won't let you down. This was crunch time for week four of the 2022 Division Three college football season. Yeah, that Redlands team, I, I, I don't know what to make of what's going on there, but that is a real disappointment out west. Uh, things that aren't a disappointment, Linfield, obviously, still being Linfield, and they've got, I think, a clear run, road uh, where they're going to be going. I just don't see anybody in the Northwest Conference really stepping up, it feels like. Although George Fox uh, this season out in the west is a pretty decent surprise out uh, in that direction. Uh, Wisconsin taking the week off, uh, or most of Wisconsin at least, and in terms of the WEAC. Uh, we'll see where they go because they got some big games coming up in week five. Uh, the South, we saw the, you know, uh, Tussle in Texas, and uh, not much else, you know, earth shattering down there, but we're really gearing up here for excitement in the East and some excitement in the South, uh, especially in the SAA race, I think, uh, right now. I feel like the USA South may have just solved itself a little bit, but we'll also get some excitement in the ODAC. So the ODAction down there is going to be probably pretty good. But the Northeast, New York region, Pennsylvania region, uh, down you know the Mid-Atlantic into the South, that's where a lot of good stuff is going to be happening for the next three to four weeks. And we're going to be focusing on the Pennsylvania area. We'll tell you more about that via Twitter tomorrow or actually maybe later today if you're watching us on wednesday uh about what our coverage plans are for this saturday so uh stay tuned for that but we're going to focus on kind of the pennsylvania region because there's some exciting stuff going on in that state this saturday having said that jb uh it's time for your mvps and uh there's one person here that i'm definitely not surprised to see here and we heard a lot about him on around the nation and on that podcast on monday why not hear a little bit more about spencer mcmillian I kind of try to avoid doing the same thing as the around the nation game ball selections, but both 
McMillian and on the defensive side, uh, Johnny Smith-Walker were – they had just too big games to ignore. So, obviously, McMillian with the uh, 43 rush, five touchdown game against Anna Maria, who was undefeated going into that game. That's an impressive win for, for the Coast Guard, who's really um, starting to turn some things around. Um, Smith Walker just he, he forced a fumble that really kind of started the, the whole turn of the game. Now there were some other players out there that had maybe had more tackles or interceptions or this and that. But in the biggest game in the country, this guy made the probably the biggest play in the game, at least early on, that started the Crusaders um, basically snowball effect of, of piling up some points, starting with defense. And as I said earlier, my special teams pick, I mean KJ Miller could be an easy choice here. Um, but I liked the fact that you know, Tyler England's punt return really put Huntington in control early. So even when they were struggling a bit later on, they had that cushion, and they really needed that, which ultimately I think helped help them hold off a strong Belhaven team. So JB, let's take a look at something here. I've got I've called up on my screen here, and we'll put it up on our general screen for everybody to see um, the top ten right now in Division Three, uh, according to D3Football.com's top twenty-five. Uh, after everything shook out here, it's North Central, Mount Union, Whitewater, Mary Harden Baylor, uh, Trinity, Texas in your top five. Uh, noticeably, Whitewater is only two points ahead of Mary Harden Baylor, which is interesting when you think of everything that's occurred right now uh, in this whole uh, conundrum of how to rank teams. Um, you know, Whitewater did beat Mary Harden Baylor, but there was a, a close call now for third place after this and Mary Harden Baylor did get a first place vote presumably the first place vote that was Harden Simmons first place vote but then where did Trinity Texas's first place vote go to I'm not sure because that just disappeared overnight uh, for no apparent reason how would you rank the top five right now if you had to rank them I mean I think I'd probably go with this this similar ranking I mean you know Whitewater has the win over crew so you got to give them the edge there yeah, trinity at five i mean they did beat wheaton uh, which is was an impressive you know win but it was a close call yeah i mean i wouldn't really shift things around too much i mean mount union still looks good but they're really relatively untested they'll probably be untested until the playoffs and um you know, we didn't see whitewater play this past weekend so they're not going anywhere I mean, I really don't have any arguments against this. The thing I think is funny, though, Frank, is that how many games have we seen this season that have been really big marquee games end 28-4? to 4? I mean, I guess you could even throw um, Salve and Rowan in there, too, but it's the same exact score. Yep, yep. Yeah, same exact score that we saw with, uh, with the crew and, and, and Whitewater. Saw it again this past weekend with St. John's and Bethel. Um, you know, what I'm a little surprised that is that Bethel is still all the way down at 12. I was just going to um, go there. Let, let's take a look at uh, a little bit deeper here at 6 through 10. St. John's, Linfield, Johns Hopkins, Lacrosse, and Harden Simmons. You know, normally if you beat a team above you, you will get at least remotely close, if not go ahead of them, if you have the equal number of losses uh, in that situation. Here, Bethel doesn't get that propulsion up to that point. And their loss to Platteville, while I understand it's a bad loss with a team that's unranked now, at the same time, we learn that Rosti most likely is the reason why they lost the game and maybe won this game, and he's back in the lineup. So, yeah. you know, do voters know enough about what's going on there, I start to wonder aloud, 
about you know that injury scenario and what it means. Now, listen, if a voter wanted to say to me, look, here's why I wouldn't put them ahead of them, it shows me that they lack depth in a position that's important in football. But then how many backup quarterbacks do we know about across the country on teams? You know, you don't know anything about them until you need them pretty much in Division Three. So, you know, we, we saw it with Union. Who was Donovan Bacatti's uh, backup? Sherman, you know, tried to keep things together there. It didn't work. Uh, so... You know, I think it's a little unfair what happened to Bethel's ranking here overall and that an adjustment can be made. We've seen it happen in college basketball polls in Division One before where, oh, the you know major point guard who was out on injury, he'll be back for the tournament. And suddenly, does that affect how they see that player? Yes, it does usually is what we've heard in the past that they do watch that stuff. And so why shouldn't pollsters watch it and, you know, rank accordingly because... To me, a ranking list like this is what the current assessment of these teams are. Now, it doesn't mean that next week, number 18 is automatically beating number 25 because any given Saturday and maybe a matchup will create some kind of problem for 18 against 25, or maybe the home team deserves you know, a certain advantage. But at least it gives you this perspective of, right now, here's how I think the teams are in the country. A Rosty-filled Bethel team is going to be a heck of a lot better than a Rosty deficit uh, Bethel team. So I, I don't agree with that part of it. As you point out, they should be in the top 10. They should be closer to St. John's, if not ahead of St. John's ultimately. And St. John's I got buoyed a little bit there, I think, somehow uh, by that Whitewater win. But since that win, River Falls almost took them down. Uh, you know, if they had another five minutes in that game, they may have and then this Bethel game. So I don't know what the real St. John's is necessarily either. Last thoughts on that? Well, I, I was just kind of, I felt a little relieved because I, I'm pretty sure I picked Bethel to win the Mayak in preseason. And so that, that pick looks a lot better now than it did after St. John's beat Whitewater in week one. And I was like, oh man, was I way off. But I had a feeling that St. John's might struggle a little bit this season, just given some of the losses to graduation and how they kind of snuck by a few teams last year. But yeah, ultimately, a lot, a lot of times what we see in these rankings, the 2021 resume is still sort of bolstered in. And at least, you know, the, the, I think the pollsters are doing the best they can, given all these upsets and all these kind of topsy-turvy results. But, uh, yeah, the Bethel, the Bethel thing is still a little bit of a head-scratcher, especially when everybody who votes probably knows about Rosti being out in the Platteville game. Or at least they should have known, I, I think, respectfully uh, to everybody. So, anyway, uh, there, that's that. Uh, we've got some big games we're going to be previewing on Friday. We'll also have an interview. We'll uh, tell you what our coverage plan is, as I said, on Wednesday, uh, a little bit later on in the day. We will um, uh, officially break the news on where I will be and where our focus will be on Twitter, uh, etc. So uh, make sure to stay tuned for that. And uh, final thoughts on uh, week four, going into week five here, my friend. Uh, I mean, again, while the you know preview we get, gave kind of was like, boy, it's tough to find games to even predict, uh, we end up with a lot of exciting games here, uh, especially those 17-point turnarounds. Do you see that becoming a trend? I mean, do you see these... Uh, you know, this ambivalence of who wins week to week turning into, hey, no 21-point lead is safe or whatever uh, else it might be out there. 
Yeah, I mean, if, I, if I'm a D3 football coach, I'm using a lot of these games of examples of saying it, it, it isn't over until it's over. That Denison-Wabash game being the perfect example. I thought that Wabash had it in the bag, and then all of a sudden a 47-yard pass, and it's the game is still on. And if there's still time on the clock, you got a shot. So um, same thing with Salve. I mean, maybe they got a break with the pass interference call in the end zone, but that stuff happens, and, you know, hey. That's, that's football. Um, the only last thing I'll conclude on, Frank, I, I would like to say thanks to uh, – I've gotten a few uh, DMs and texts from people uh, wishing us well down here in Florida. we got Hurricane Ian coming up. Um, I have a feeling I should be fine to log on on Friday morning. I'll let you know if not somehow. Um, but, you know, for, for anyone who has friends, family on the west coast of Florida, particularly in the Tampa area, that looks like it's going to be a rough one. So we'll send all our you know, thoughts and prayers out to everyone. Here in Orlando, we're a lot more landlocked. We should be okay, although some of the models do have the hurricane running right through the middle of our state. So we'll have to, you know, knock on wood, hope for the best, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, Ellie thinks now there's somebody at the door. <laughs> well, listen, you could uh, possibly uh, do a first for us and be uh, our resident Jim Cantore and be out there holding on to something while you're, uh, you know, on the show with us on Friday live and. You know, it'd be great, I think. And outside with my poncho and, you know. <laughs> Doing God only you knows know, what in the random, trailer. Small, <laughs> small, small world, random story. The producer for Jim Cantori is a buddy of mine, Steve Pederak from Hobart. He was a couple years ahead of me, played uh, played ice hockey. And I ran into him when I lived in L.A. for a little while before he moved back east to Atlanta. Hey, we're statesmen. Hey, oh, yeah, look at this. I got a little something from... Uh, and we'll be talking about that a little more on come uh, come Friday because big big Liberty League game on on Saturday. We'll see what happens. Uh, Hobart Ithaca is that what you're referring to? Possibly. Yes, indeed. One of at least a dozen really important conference games that are happening in Week Five. It's going to be a great weekend of football. And we're going to predict them. And I'm going to, uh, like I said, I have a couple big games uh, definitely to attend. Uh, maybe two, uh, not just one. Because why stop at one? Why not get back to 20 games this season uh, in terms of travel? Wow. Hey, you're already on your way. <laughs> yep. We're seven down, 13 to go just to tie it. But anyway, folks, we'll see you on Friday as uh, predictions will be more important than ever. Not really for us, but for the teams that are playing the games. So uh, tune in. We'll see you then.